Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. We appreciate you being here and supporting us, supporting people that do support us. And uh, as always, you can send uh, recommendations for guests or whatever to contact at drdrew.com. Do be sure to check out After Dark, which I know you all would love, as well as the streaming shows, 3 o'clock Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, um, Pacific, 3 o'clock. Uh, we've uh, been talking to some interesting people. So please do that. Uh, today is part two with Amy Apigian. Am I I'm pronouncing your last name right? I always get anxious when I say a name. Even though <laughs> Apigian. I'm, Apigian. It's a hard G. I think I, I think I said it wrong a whole entire last time you were here. So thank you for correcting me. Apigian. Um, how... Why is that? There's a, there's a vowel after it. Isn't that supposed to make it? Sound? I know, Dr. Drew. And this is one of those things where it's like, this is a, this is a last name that I inherited. Okay. How did we come up with this pronunciation? I have no idea. It's, <laughs> it's Armenian. I, I don't know. Ar- Armenians make up stuff all the time, right? I got that part. I got that part. <laughs> Uh, the, uh, the Armenian jumped out at me, but but even the Armenian tends to follow some of the same. Well, who knows? Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I have lots of our loads of Armenian friends, loads, because I live here in Southern California. Yeah. Next yeah. to the largest pop, larger population than Armenia next door here in Glendale. Glendale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so lots of uh, and it's all very familiar territory to me that uh you know, the kind of humor, the values, the in and out of a secret language is all, is all so very familiar to me. So uh, last time we had a great conversation, but it was too short. So I announced that we must do a part two. Uh, and part of the part two is I want to talk about steps to healing trauma, identifying and healing trauma and uh, your roadmap, so to speak. And I want to talk about your center, which we didn't really get into almost at all. But before we do, in case somebody didn't hear us in our last um, encounter, give people a sort of brief sketch on how you got from being a resident, a surgical resident, if I remember right, being yelled at and have, you know subjugating all your all your well being to the practice of medicine to being somebody who understood trauma and addiction and got very much in the area that I've been fascinated with for quite some time. Yes. My story started with a very conventional medical training. And, but I will say that during that, it was after I just finished my master's in biochemistry. And then there was a few months break before I jumped back into the third year of medical school, I decided to foster parent. And then when they placed Miguel with me, I learned what would be his life trajectory if I did not adopt him. Mm. And knowing clearly that I was not his best choice. But after looking at his options, I thought that I would his, I was his best chance. So I adopted him knowing that this was going to be a challenge, a single mom in medical school, adopting a child who had a lot of, uh, a lot of trauma and was expressing a lot of trauma, but that started my path, Dr. Drew, where it was like, then I became so committed to helping find the answers that he needed to be happy. He was Mm. clearly not happy. Mm. A lot of anger, a lot of, a lot of sadness, a lot of grief that was showing up as anger. But I, I saw that what I thought would help him was not helping him. And I was over at Loma Linda university at the time. And so had access to like all of Southern California's resources. And so I was taking him to all these therapies that are the evidence-based. And I wasn't seeing him get better. If anything, getting worse and already at five was threatening to kill me and trying Mm. to kill me. Mm. And so it, it became, you know, kind of like a a dual life where during the day 
I was a medical student and I was in the floor of the hospital and I was already starting to try to learn as much as I could from the psychiatrist, from um, the addiction medicine people, like anybody who seemed to have even just helping me understand what was going on in Miguel's brain and Miguel's body that he would be doing the things that he was doing. And it was in that process that it just kind of tried to tried to find the pieces because the other part of my life was coming home and it was almost like my house was a child psych unit with mm. the degree of danger that I was living in and trying to help him just stay safe as I tried to figure things out for him. And so realizing, first of all, just how lost I was. And here I am a very educated person. And if I, as a very educated person with access to all of these resources, still couldn't figure it out, my goodness, like mm. what do people, what do other people do? Yeah, well, and I think we know. <laughs> we, <laughs> we don't, don't, we don't right? Problem. Yeah, and then, and then, of course, you and I, right? Like we have our common language around addictions. Like that's where it leads. That is exactly where it leads, of covering up a lot of pain, and and substances will will help do that temporarily. Yep. And I still did not think that my life was going to go into the direction of trauma, though. And so, coming out of medical school. I went into general surgery residency where, yes, I did three and a half years. More trauma. I feel I needed to experience trauma myself, Dr. Drew. <laughs> I you think you did it. Well done. <laughs> you well, n- no, not really well done because my body crashed mm. like at, at the three and a half mark. And there were a couple of things that led up to it. One was that I broke my collarbone in an accident and trying to, my goodness, like how, how do you keep up with general surgery residency when you've got one arm that doesn't work and is in pain all the time? So a couple of things led up to this. However, what finally happened was that during transplant rotation of all, of all rotations, right? Transplant rotation, one of the toughest in terms of the schedule, Mm. that was when my body crashed and it crashed in a way that like one day it just would not get out of bed for me. And I had never experienced anything like that. I had always been able to push myself to get out of bed, push myself to stay awake, push myself, push myself, push myself. And then one day I couldn't anymore. What do you think? That's a, that's a kind of a very vivid thing. What do you think was happening? Was it depression? Was it exhaustion? Oh, it was all of that. I mean, by then, Dr. Drew, I was on two antidepressants. So I had, I was on Zoloft and Wellbutrin to help me with burnout. <laughs> and I was overweight. I was dealing with a lot of inflammation. I still had not come across functional medicine yet. So I didn't even know that there were things like food sensitivities. I, I didn't, I didn't know all of this stuff. And so my, my poor body, right? Like my poor body had been can talking I, to I me I for years. Stop you there. As long yeah. as the topic is in front of us, because I, I don't, we're, I know we're gonna have a lot of sidebars and a lot of things to talk about, but this, I've been ruminating about this topic a lot lately, which is this is going to take a minute. <laughs> There's the functional medicine thing, which, which yeah. is we're as physicians too busy taking care of sick people for the most part. I mean, you certainly were when you were in that part of it. There are things we could be doing that are, you know, that were are different, but we tend not to. I mean, you're obviously doing something very, very specific, but even, even when even when we do things that are towards a functional or, or well-being sort of zone, we're we're dealing with ill people mostly, you know. Uh, and keeping healthy people healthy 
isn't really on our radar. And it's not really what we do either. We're too busy doing all this other stuff. And so I've been kind of struggling with that because people do look to us to, to, to provide that, to, to guide that. I don't, I, I, it, part of me feels like that may not be us. We just may not be up for it. But another part of me wants to try things. But it's going to have to be different than what we've always done, it seems to me. And so I'm trying things. But go ahead. What are your thoughts on this? That's exactly where I was. I I mean, as, as a resident now, and general surgery resident, right? Like I had cared for everything, um, yeah. even down to the sickest patients in the ICU yeah. coming in. We're doing the transplant. Rotation. Transplant. I mean, how, how, get how worse far on the edge of life and death can you get, right? Yeah. yeah. And to see that with all of my knowledge, I couldn't help myself. Yeah. That was a scary place to be. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of like, well, going back to the whiteboard, right? That's what I did with Miguel was, all right, well, nothing that I know of is working. So let's get creative here because what are my other options? My other options are to settle for this is as good as Miguel is going to get. Hmm. No. No, as a parent now, as his mom, no, Mm. hell no. Like that is not an option. And then when it came to my own health, hell no, (laughs) hell no. (laughs) That's the mama bear, right? That comes out in us like, no, this is my kid. Right. And and kind of very similar to what we doctors do, where it's maybe easier for us to focus on other people's health and well-being than our own. But then when it came to my health, it was like, well, is it an option to have chronic fatigue the rest of my life and not even know if I can get out of bed. Mm. Uh, well, I don't know. Right. Cause I'm still a single mom. Uh, I've got a kid to feed. Like I've yeah. got to be able to work. It's not an option for me to be this sick. And if there's no answers over here in my own field of medicine, well, then here we go. Right. <laughs> I I wonder what I'm going to find, but I've got to find something. Yeah. Where, where did you first start looking? I don't think I know that part of the story. I found functional medicine. So online Google searching and I found functional medicine, started to take a few kind of online courses that they had. But where I really started was chiropractic work. Really? I did not. Yes. Know that. Yes. And I had a fabulous chiropractor when I went in. And thankfully my insurance was covering this. So I started doing like three appointments every week because it was the only thing that was giving me some relief. And what he would do is he would put his hands like on my head and he would do this thing. And I, (laughs) I had so little energy, Dr. Drew, that I, I didn't even ask him what he was doing for the first two months. And finally I had enough energy to be like, so what, what's that, that you do every time that I come in, he's like, oh, that's called muscle testing. And I'm like, muscle testing, tell me what the hell that is, because I don't like you're, you're talking to to a surgeon. (laughs) So testing involves electrical and and needles. (laughs) Right. Right. And so that actually, that conversation and what he was doing, um, opened, opened my mind, right. To then, to then at least be open to learning these other things that I had always been very closed off to just because that was my training. Mm -hmm. But if I hadn't have experienced it myself of how much this was helping me, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have even asked. I wouldn't have even been, been open to it. If it was something that I was, you know, reading or my patient was telling me about, I would have still been like, Oh, poo poo. Like that's, that's total woo woo. Right. Like we deal with the sciences here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, if you're ready to unlock the secret of youthful skin, great hair, look no further. Intera Skin Care, you've heard me talk about them before. They have the Sapphire Lux Firming Serum here to help you. It's not just another moisturizer. It's a healing elixir that promotes deep hydration and skin repair. And it enhances collagen production, giving you that youthful glow. They've also got, of course, the Folleton Hair Regrowth Serum. Say goodbye to hair loss woes with this revolutionary system. Platinum Restore Serum. It's an advanced serum. It's your secret weapon against fine lines, wrinkles, crow's feet, dark circles. Why wait? Experience the magic of Enterra Skin Care today. Say hello to a more radiant you. Visit their website at EnterraSkinCare.com. Explore their full range of products and start your journey to healthier skin and hair. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to transform your beauty routine. Use promo code DREW, that's D-R-E-W, for 10% off at checkout. That's code DREW for 10% off at EnterraSkinCare.com. And Terra Skincare, where beauty meets science. Get ready to shine. So let's drill on that a little bit because there is now evolving science. It's pretty there is. good, right? There is. And I, I'm sort of finding myself thinking about, you know, aging and well, obviously I'm in that time of life too, but but it's it's sort of having meaningful data to be able to look towards, and I feel like there should be more. It should be better funded. You know, uh, they really should because there's a lot heading in a good direction. Well, the challenge is though, we've got to change our model for doing research. Mm, well, that's that's a whole. I, I mean, th- that's the capture of pharma, right? Exactly. And, and we have to have change regulation regulators and everything. Right. And so that's been the struggle with even getting functional medicine into any you know what could happen. You know what could happen? I was talking to a business guy the other day and I thought mm, maybe this because I was looking at uh, a big drug company's um, research and the research is getting narrower and narrower. Right. They're just dealing with pulmonary hypertension. They're just dealing with thrombocytopenia. They're, you know, they, and, and they're really good. I mean, they're really sort of putting their finger in the dikes. But the 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 amount of flow out of those little holes is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And so it might be for them, they might have a better business looking for, Hey man, come up with a supplement that everybody could take that delays oxidative stress or quote inflammation or something. I mean, they, they could get into that area pretty easily and it would probably be a good business practice. But you would still fight with those scientists who want random control trials. Yes. And you don't like that idea. I think that that is hard to do for things that are this general, like inflammation, like oxidative so, okay, stress. Okay, yeah. So because there's not a marked physiological change that we can measure so easily other than, you know, taking something for 30 years and you live longer, but then you need big studies over 30, right? big numbers of people over 30 years. Okay. So that's interesting. Um, hmm. And so when I was coming into this, I, sh- I had to make that shift where I was coming in from the training perspective of no, like I'm only going to look at, you know, the, the studies that have the most weight, which are randomized controlled trials. But then when I became a mom, Dr. Drew, that's what changed everything. Because as a mom, I was like, 
to hell with the studies. Give me something that works. Like I need to know what I can do right now in this moment. And so that's when I started to make my shift towards, all right, I'm not going to be looking at the studies anymore necessarily in that light. If they can inform me of actions that I can take right now, practical actions and solutions. Okay. I'm all game. But that's how I started to look for studies. So interesting for you as a biochemist too. I mean, it's really, that's a, people don't, I I know how big a transition that is. That's a major, and, and, and there must've been even shame and guilt with it. Cause I, what am I thinking? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yes. And that's why for me, kind of shifting out of then even the conventional model of medicine with my whole career Mm. and the work that I do now, that is what I've brought to it is yes, I know all the science. I know down to the enzymes and the proteins and yeah. the biochemical level. The I do know all of that. And the pharmacokinetics, the mechanics. Exactly. And I and I still geek out over that. But that's <laughs> not what I share with my audience. Hmm. What I share with my audience is what I needed and didn't have, which is practical actions that you can take right now. Hmm. And Again, I'm, I haven't even gotten to your stuff yet. I'm so sorry, but this all this stuff is so fascinating to me. In in, in some ex, to some extent, we're heading into philosophy a little bit, aren't we? Philosophy of living, philosophy of living, philosophy of medicine, philosophy and the big related. shift that's going to have to happen in medicine for people to actually have access to the information that will help them. Do you know who Harvey Reich is? Harvey Reich. No. I don't. He's a very brilliant dude, a researcher, and he is actually. I got. I, I want to talk to him again. I, I didn't. I didn't listen carefully enough, and I didn't have time to get into it. But he actually believes that RCTs are not the best model uh, for. I would agree with him. Yeah, that, that, being on both sides now. Yeah, I would agree. But but not for the reasons necessarily you are bringing along. He just thinks they are just sort of not telling us what the, we think they're telling us. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're creating an unreal life scenario. You're, you're isolating factors yeah. that you can't isolate in the real world. So how is that really helpful? Yeah. It, it's, it's sort of like studying steady state chemistry when nothing's in a steady state. Equally. Right. You're, you're studying test tubes in essence. Yeah. And but yet it's useful. Not that it's not useful. It's how it's gotten us here. It, Exactly. It's some sort of paradigm shift of some type. It's helpful to a certain degree, but but it's not the weight that scholars would like it to be when it comes to the real life. Okay, but what do I do right now with my diet? What do I do right now with my supplements? What do I do right now with which therapies I'm Im- implementing in my life? What What are you doing with diet and supplement? Just if you don't mind. Just, Ooh, just yeah, yeah. That's a fun rabbit hole. Yeah. So. There's actually a lot, a lot to diet and supplements when it comes to trauma healing. We do need to personalize it to every individual, but there are some principles that we can go off of, which is one, we have to understand your neurotransmitters, because if you're not having this, the substances, the nutrients, the elements that your body needs to make neurotransmitters like dopamine, for example, right? Like you are going to be at higher risk of getting an addiction because you're going to be looking for that dopamine. I talked to somebody day before yesterday who was enlightening me. I I'm suddenly find myself connected to this field. 
um, who's enlightened me about the effect of PPI on absorption of various nutrients. And I was like, oh boy, I always, right? I was very skeptical about PPIs always, uh, but not for that reason necessarily. And I was like, oh, here's another reason. So yeah. And yet when I was running the addiction medical unit, that was what administration required me to do for every person on the unit. PPI. Give them a PPI. Which for people who don't know, it's, a, it's called a proton pump inhibitor. It just shuts down the acid secretion by the stomach. But your stomach has acid for a reason. You 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 need the acid. <laughs> right. right. So yes, the P- PPIs is definitely going to harm your body in such a way that it's not going to be able to get the nutrients that it needs. And then we can look at everything else in the gut as well. Like uh, leaky gut is is a big thing. And everyone who has still, I would just say triggers to trauma responses, they have leaky gut because of the stress and trauma response and what it does to the gut. But in terms of just diet itself, most people who are on a trauma healing journey need to have more protein than those who are doing well. You need more protein and you also need more fat because the fat will help stabilize your blood sugars. The fat will help stabilize your nervous system. So if you have a nervous system that is hypersensitive and hyperreactive, you've got to be stabilizing it. And so we've got to be looking at the diet, but then also supplements for that. I would argue that the, that most people could benefit from the diet plan you're suggesting, right? This is also true. Yes. Yeah. This is just uh, <laughs> talking saturated fats, right? Good. I am, I am talking your healthy fats. I'm not talking about the French fries, uh, you know, deep pan fried foods, <laughs> but, but we're also not talking about seed. We don't want seed. We don't want vegetable. We want fat. Yes. Real fat. Yep. Real fat. So, so yeah. thoroughly. Do you know who Kate Shanahan is? Yes. Yes. So I'm a Kate Shanahan. You like what she's advocating? I love what she's. Okay. Yes. So she got me. So she's a biochemist like you, I'm sure. Yep. yep. And and so when I talk to scientists, I listen, right? Because I because many of us are we either were scientists or we're never scientists, and are not not sort of scientists the way you and Kate are. And, and I thankfully had great scientific training, but it was you know it's something I left behind a long time ago. But I try to pay attention and think that way as much as I can. And uh, the first time I talked to Kate, she goes. Oh, no, no, this, this is all this physiology is way too complicated to say anything about the biochemistry, but there are certain things you can say for sure. And I thought, okay, well, that's somebody I can now listen to. Because when, whenever I start hearing stories and pathways and uh, narratives, I'm like, I don't know. No, sorry. But so, so fats, protein, yes, yes, and yes. And, and not no carbohydrates. Do you, do you pick your kind of carbohydrates? Do you pay attention? I, I do. So I'm also, because of my gut, like I'm off of nightshades. I don't eat much what fruit is anymore. What is nightshades are like your, your peppers, your tomatoes. Uh, those just seem to have a, a bad reaction to my gut. I am off all wheat, not just gluten, but wheat. Yeah. And so my diet consists of meat, and vegetables. I will eat some blueberries. I think uh, blueberries and bananas are the only fruit that I eat, but I'm going to eat those much later in the day. That is not what I eat in the first half of the day. So yeah, starch is the enemy, right? Real starch. Yeah. Simple carbohydrates. Yeah. I mean, and let's be fair, these things were created to be, you know, sort of transport calories in famine settings, you know, settings of real restrictive calorie access, right? That's what that's what that's for. Yeah. So, but then I'm going to take it a step further with you, Dr. Drew, and I'm probably going to say something that 
that that might offend most people, which is which is cool, Agreed. which is okay because I mean, we can have a conversation about it. There are many people who should not be eating leafy greens. Hmm. How do you how do you figure out if you are or are not that person? You need to do a test. It's a blood test that you can do. Uh, if you are not on a medication that messes with your histamine levels, then you can do a whole blood histamine test. And that will be a measure of your methylation status. Mm. And people are either under methylators, which all those with an addiction are under methylators, or you can be over methylators. Over methylators do really well on leafy greens and they should eat them all up. Mm. But there's not as many over methylators anymore because as a society, because of the chronic stress and generational trauma, we've been shifting towards under methylation. So more and more people are under methylators and they actually feel worse when they take in more folate. Well, leafy greens are all about folate. Hmm. And most B vitamins have folate because folate is a B vitamin. And so you will actually be contributing to depression and anxiety when you're taking a B vitamin or eating leafy greens, not knowing because you think you're being healthy. Ah! But uh, so, so are there things, let's see if somebody can't get to the test. Mm-hmm. Are there, would, is there any utility to just taking a methylation supplement? Things that, that are, pro, you know, B12 and there's other things. Yeah. So for, for, if you, there are traits. So the other, if you're not able to do a blood test, there are a list of traits that is how I know if a person is an undermethylator. And the traits include people who are very competitive. They are so competitive that they won't even play or try if they don't think they can win. Like they're that competitive. They are driven. They are perfectionistic. They Hmm. usually have a whole family history of people who are driven and competitive. And then they can tend to be on the obsessive compulsive, not that they have obsessive compulsive. Causational link or just an associated phenomenology alongside of the methylation? What seems to be happening is that the methylation is selecting for which genes it is silencing or overexpressing. And so these are the tendencies that come with the methylation status. So we're methylating promoter genes or something. Exactly. And one of those genes that is often affected by the methylation status is the serotonin receptors and transporters. Uh. And so that's why many undermethylators also struggle with severe depression but they're so driven and they're so competitive that they push themselves through whether or not they eventually get on a medication or not. But most mood medications, including your Lexapro, are ones that reduce that whole blood histamine, which is probably partly why they help someone feel better. It's not just the serotonin or maybe even the dopamine if you're on Wellbutrin. It's also the histamine effect that those medications are doing that are helping them feel better. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Back to my question. Are there things people could take just in case? If you are an undermethylator, you can take SAMe 
or methionine. Now there is lots of data on SAMI. SAMI is also what's found in St. John's, St. John's work, for example. And so it's a, it's an agent that is in, is in the, your studies and is in the research for helping with depression. And it's that segment of the population that it's really helping. So methionine, just straight methionine. mm -hmm. So I took SAMI and methionine for a while, Mm -hmm. uh, with this kind of idea in mind. And I think I felt a little worse. I definitely didn't feel better. And I'm definitely sort of in the category you're describing as the overmethylator. At least I'm in that direction. What do those guys do? That's where we need to dig in deeper and see, okay, like what's going on? Is it interacting with something else? Am I taking something else? Am I eating something that's affecting it? Um, I am also in this category. And so I'm on Sammy. And I started to feel worse. And I noticed that I was drinking a coconut milk that was fortified with folate. Ah, like it's, it's hard to find these things because it's very common for a lot of things to be fortified in, mm-hmm. in our world today. And so they sneak in and you don't realize that, ah, like I, I'm, I'm taking in a substance that's actually counteracting what mm-hmm. I'm trying to do here. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's rough on the stomach and we've got to play around with, well, what is the right dosage for you? And when is the right time of day? to, to take it, but the Sammy, the Sammy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, I have no mood problems right now though. So, you know, that's probably superfluous if, if indeed I had a low, uh, methylation thing anyway, just, just sort of thinking out loud. So anyway, let's now go continue back to your identify and heal trauma roadmap. I want to make sure we get that out there. What is in there? How do we get to it? Who do you want to read the roadmap? Yeah. So one of the things as a physician, and I'm now working with patients, right? Even in back in general surgery, and I'm starting to notice that, oh my goodness, like all of my patients have stored trauma and they don't know it. Mm. And they're just trying to treat their symptoms as a physical disease and not addressing the emotional component of their disease. Mm -hmm. And both need to be done. We need to address both the physical component and the emotional, or what I would call the trauma and, and the trauma being stored in our body. So I started to piece together, like, how would I show someone like, this is how you can recognize that you have stored trauma. And that's what's in this roadmap. And that's what's in this guide. And it's on my website, traumahealingaccelerated.com. People can go there, scroll down to the resources section. Thank you. Mm -hmm. You Traumahealingaccelerated.com. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I've laid it out so that people can see these are the different levels in which stored trauma expresses itself in the body. And when we have stored trauma in the body, as you know, Dr. Drew, it drives our whole nervous system. Mm-hmm. And so it's actually going to drive our thoughts. Whereas sometimes we can think that our thoughts are driving our body. It's actually the other, the other way around. When we have the stored trauma, it's this constant nudging from our body of, I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe. And then our brain makes up a story about why we don't feel safe. But that, that instinct, that voice is coming from our body where this stored trauma is. And so we can recognize stored trauma. Yes. By our thoughts. And those thoughts would be, maybe you're always scared, or maybe you're always overwhelmed. You can recognize stored trauma by the first thought you have when you wake up. Mm. That's always my test for people. 
It's not the second thought because by the second thought, your logic is kicking in. (laughs) I want to know your first thought because that's the unfiltered thought. Okay. And for many people, as you know, for many people, that very first thought is, oh, I don't want to get up. Mm. I don't want to get up. I'm already overwhelmed by my day that hasn't even started yet, Mm. but I just know that it's going to be hard. It already feels hard and I haven't even, you know, gotten out of bed. (laughs) And that is often the first unfiltered thought that people have. And that overwhelm is coming from stored trauma. When we are in what's called the ventral vagal or parasympathetic, you can also call it social engagement system. There's a whole bunch of words for the same thing. We we talked about this in detail at the last conversation. So please go back to this. This Stephen Porges's. Exactly. Stephen Porges material, like that, that will generate your thought of, oh, what an exciting day I have ahead. And so your very first thought, your unfiltered thoughts is what is an indicator of what's stored in your body. So, so I, I want to, I want to make a distinction here. Tell me if this is right. Amy is not talking about positive psychology where she's self-talking in a positive way. Oh, I'm excited for this day. She is talking about what is happening in her body biologically and how that's affecting psychology, right? Would that be a better Absolutely. way? Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's that's where people miss this phenomenon. They, they, they think it's, you know, th- everything's thoughts, everything's thinking. No, Plato knew it wasn't that. Plato always talked about the conscious brain, the cognitive brain being a monkey trying to trying to drive an elephant, sitting on top of an elephant, trying to steer it. That That's the elephant is our body and our emotional brain and our motivated brain, that kind of stuff. And that's what Amy's working with. So, so. And what- I just want to throw in there another quote from Carl Jung, and I'm going to totally mess up the quote. So I'm not even going to say that it's a quote, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's what he said in, in regards to what is unconscious versus conscious. Right. And, yeah. and we have this whole unconscious level And that is really what's happening in our autonomic nervous system. And what Carl Jung said was that what is unconscious becomes our reality Mm. and we will call it destiny. Oh, interesting. That's very interesting. That's a, that's a big topic right there in terms of how our affect affects the, the, our reality, literally. Yeah. It creates, right? Like and because it even yeah. attracts. And 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 it's like you can say, Oh, like I'm I'm in this horrible relationship. Well, why would you have put yourself in that relationship? Or why would you have stayed in that relationship? Like those are all the unconscious things that mm-hmm. we that we get to explore and, and uncover. And, and back and to something we talked a little bit about last time, which is the only conscious experience you may have that you're aware of is, oh, I'm attracted to that person. People don't talk about that. You, the attraction is the motivated system kicking in, but see, it's the unconscious creating the attraction. And the un, and I think people have, well, I certainly used to have this too, uh, grave misconceptions for, um, you know, the unconscious mind to me felt like some, some sort of thought plane beneath the thought plane I'm aware of. But, but that's not, it's not that it's, it's the entire biological soup of what's going on in your body, what's coming out of your gut, what's coming out of your heart, what's coming out of your, your genital system, 
I mean, these are all very complicated biological systems that are sending information up to your brain. And of course, it's affecting your brain. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I mean, that's, like no duh. <laughs> He's like, yes. I mean, uh, for, for us, no duh, right? But yet that's still not what they're teaching in medical school. Yeah. And that's still not what the is being taught in mental health. And so people are still being taught that just, you know, the positive psychology, say I, affirmations, I got, say I your mantras. You know, I, gave, I gave a lecture to probably second year medical students where I included Porges' stuff and I, and I include in Europe have to send in questions about your lecture. And I sent tough questions about that material back. And I was surprised. I didn't hear any whining about it. So they, they must've been interested in it. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. So what comes up from the body is that stored trauma or right. Like if you've done your work or doing your work, there's less of that, but the unfiltered thought that first thought of the day is often an indicator of what's really in my body. Is it in a place of health or is it in a place of overwhelm? And then we can look at body sensations. And so like, what are the daily body sensations that you have? Or are you even connected to your body that you're aware of these sensations? Do you walk around with feeling like your gut is in a twist? Like there's been a knife stabbed in your gut, right? Do you have a body sensation that you can't breathe or that there's a lot of anxiety? And so your, your heart is always racing. Like these are the body sensations that yes, are still the fruit of the stored trauma. But if we can become aware of that, we can see that, whoa, there's a lot that's going on in my body all day long. And that is an evidence that is a manifestation. It's an expression of how the body speaks trauma. Yes. Yes. And there's many, that, that language or the landscape of that language is quite complicated, right? Yeah. And, and but, most people referring back to me, right? Cause of course I represent the majority of society, <laughs> but I, I, I didn't want to feel that stuff. Right. I, I felt that well, now. Okay. So I didn't want to feel that stuff. You're, I'm going to give, I'm going to cut you a break a little bit. You see if you agree with me. I, I think that not wanting to feel that stuff is a universal feature of trauma and it's how the brain deals with trauma. It puts it away somewhere so you don't have to feel any of that stuff. And then unfortunately, because of how we wire up then doesn't give you access to it anymore, except through very specialized means. Absolutely. And the brain is there to protect us, right? And so the brain, its job is to distract us. Its, its job is to keep us busy, multitask. Mm. Always have noise, always have something going on. Never stop and relax because we might feel something and that that would be dangerous. We might fall apart if we feel something. Mm. So the, the brain, right? Like my goodness, like the brain is an amazing machine with what we ask it to do. It doesn't like to change. It, it really doesn't like change. No, it not, it's not change that changes the landscape of affect thoughts and who we are. You know, that's the, the, this, you know, becoming something a little different, whatever that is supposed to be is I think the scariest thing. It's just, it's like, I, I think I told you I was, I had a, like a long depression when I was doing intensive therapy and it was because I, I, after about a year or two of it, I was thinking, I think I've been depressed. All this. And I thought, oh yeah, well, I'm, that part of, I'm, I'm leaving a thing behind that, that me that was there is now gone and I'm evolving into something else. 
And that's, I think, I think grief is one of the most powerful motivators there is. We will avoid grief at all costs. All costs. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I have a six week journey just into biology of trauma, grief and gut health. And I all, I just finished a six week uh, biology of trauma course on letting go, how to become the person who can let go of things. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's hard. It's the real stuff. It only happens interpersonally, period, yeah. in my humble opinion, or or with some catastrophic something that forces yeah. us. But but yeah. otherwise, it's just interpersonal because the right. brain, it's it's two brains healing. You know, where one is of service, the other wants to heal. That's where brains change. You know, and and that's how you get access to trauma and things too. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Of course, it's a holiday season and uh, it's time to take care of yourself. And you should, of course, take care of your brain and your body. And I don't know why there's anything like stigma when it comes to mental health. With BetterHelp, you shouldn't worry about that. It's, of course, it is entirely online. There's no concern about embarrassment or running any into anybody in a waiting room. And, you know, I've been uh, practicing in mental health for many years. And I myself have been a patient and I've referred family, friends, and patients to BetterHelp. I've been very pleased with the services they provide. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. As I said, it is entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find your bright spot this holiday season with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Drew today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Drew, D-R-E-W. I'm Walter Masterson. And I'm Maximilian Clark. And we're basically journalists. No, no we're not. Well, we do travel across America and interview people. Yeah, using God to solve murders, and it's, it's proven communication. Tell me, wait, tell me everything about that. But we also dress up like extremists and sneak into their protests. I care about children. That is why I pay my court-mandated child support. Well, that's undercover journalism. Okay, and that time we pretended to be Trump's legal team during the indictment? Trump loves America. He's, he considers us all family. That's why he's always asking us for money. Okay, so we are not journalists. We're TikTok comedians asking questions real journalists are too smart to ask. But we also talk to real experts and scientists and smart people and stuff and make fun of them. Yeah, I guess that's why we named our show We Are Not Journalists. Because we're better. We have a podcast. A podcast that's available on whatever podcast app you use to get your podcasts. Podcast. Podcast. Well, and when you think about the brain, it already consumes the majority of our energy, mm, right? Like when you compare that. the brain versus any other organ and how much ATP yeah. it consumes or how much glucose it consumes, so, it's already so, consuming. Yeah, the have to, we have to kind of break it down for you. A- ATP is this molecule that has three phosphate bonds that we use to create energy. That's how cells create energy. Do plant cells probably do that too, right? I, I remember. Yeah, I mean, ATP is just our the the energy currency. Yeah, it's how it's, it's currency and storage of, of all energy, really. Yeah. Um, all, so when you look at that, pathway, I guess we the right way to say it. What? Yeah, like the the brain the brain needs to find things that won't take up a lot of energy. 
And so it, its job is to create things that can just go on automatic mode so that if it doesn't have to think about it, it doesn't have to use up energy for that anymore. So that's its job, right? Like, and that's why we have neuroplasticity plasticity is to make things just be on automatic mode. Like this is just what we always do. We don't have to think about it because thinking takes energy. Yeah. yeah. And, and in evolution, energy was dangerous, potentially. Dangerous. Yeah. It's you're consuming what little reserves you have, and then you've got to go find more energy. So, so talk to me more about your program. We still haven't heard all you've got going on down there. How do people, who comes down? How do they do it? How long should they stay? How do they decide all that stuff? Yeah. Right now I've got my programs online and I'm teaching professionals around the world. I'm leading people through these journeys, which is wonderful. And I'm creating a space in Mexico where they can come down and do some of that in person. I, I'm, I'm sure from your experience, you'll, you'll agree that there's nothing like in person. Like I can put a hand on your shoulder. I can't do that over Zoom. Yeah, but, there's something about in space, the body's in space. In space. I think they communicate in ways we don't know. I, yes, I like there, there is a vibration. There's there is an energy. Like there there is that level of communication yeah. when two bodies are in the same physical space. Yes. So so that's what I'm doing down in Mexico. So this is in the state of Durango, uh, which is probably not a place where most people have heard it. Though it's actually the place where they used to film all the Western movies. So John Wayne spent a lot of time there. And they even have a place where you can go and you can see how they did the setup and they've, they've made it into a little museum. So you can oh, see the, the, the old set for the Western movies. Oh so God. this is, you know, desert country and it's dry. And I found a place up in the foothills above the city of Durango. So up in the foothills and it's this quaint, tiny farming cattle ranch community. I've got to put a satellite to even get internet and most people are still riding their horses, right? And so downtown is like, a, a, it's a dirt road and there's two sides of one street that have, you know, your, your shops and there's still a hitching post Wow! so that people come through and they hitch, hitch their horse. The kids have like a one room schoolhouse and they ride their burrows to the school in the morning. If they're not walking, uh, people have, they're animals that just roam free. Does and your so, son live down there with you? So my Miguel is no longer with me. And that's, and that's part of our real life story. And I had him for six years. Mm. And then just about the time when my health crashed, I was no longer able to be the stability that he needed. And by then he had had his healing, healing experience in terms of I had been able to find all the pieces that he needed and did the very, talk about grief, Dr. Drew. Oof, talk about grief. Oh my. Did the very, very, very hard process of transitioning him over to another family that I had worked with for over a year. So I knew them well and knew that they would be a very good choice for him for the rest of his childhood. Um, but that was, yeah, that's that, I, that was I, our you story. May, you may not be wanting to answer this, but I'm sure everybody's thinking it. So I'm going to ask it, which how's he doing now? He is 19 now, and our communication has been uh, kind of spotty over the last few years. So I received a phone call from him a few months ago and saying that he was going into the Marines. Wow. And the reason that he had chosen to go into the Marines was because he wanted to be the one that rescued people mm. from being held hostage. 
And of course, in my mind, that makes perfect sense, right? Like, <laughs> yes, yes. He's becoming what he would have wanted someone to do for him. Yes, of course. Come and save him. Yeah. Although I have, you know, friends in the military and stuff, they they do derive tremendous. It's it's another way to deal with these things. You know what I'm saying? Totally. They, and they, and they, I saw that coming. And yeah. I, I I actually have. You can educate him to keep a lookout for the trauma stuff later, but it it is tremendously rewarding for them when they do this. Yeah. I have found that the structure of the military really helps people who have early childhood trauma Mm -hmm. and they're looking for routine. They're looking for, uh, again, my word is just structure, predictability. That is really helpful for their nervous. Rob Henderson. Yeah. You know, Rob Henderson. It's so weird. We're swimming in all the same waters, but Rob, you know, military saved his life from his point of view. Saved his life. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He said, for those of you who don't know him, do look him up. He's a social psychologist. I think he's his formal degree is over in England, I think Oxford or Cambridge. I don't know which. I think Oxford. Mm-hmm. I thought Oxford. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A very prolific writer and a sort of a, a student of humanity right now. So I, I, we didn't, I'm not sure we answered the question because maybe it's not time yet for people to be thinking this way, but who goes down to the program? Yeah. Those who come down to the program, I'm going to have different segments. So I do train professionals. And so one of the aspects will be inviting them down to be able to train closer with me, but then I'm going to need them to kind of have their mentorship hours underneath me. And so be inviting people who will, who are on their own trauma healing journey and who want an integrative holistic approach, which is what I offer. We do somatic work, we do parts work or internal family systems and integrate the biology work. We integrate all three of those with whatever we're working on. So I'll hold workshops on, for example, grief. We're going to do a five-day workshop on grief and we're going to do all of these pieces, integrate all of them to provide that container and support for the nervous system to make the most forward movement that it can in, in in those days. And so be able to have both, right? Like those people who are already training with me, but then really the, the individuals who want to go on these deeper journeys. The other journeys that I get really excited about are working with the freeze response. And so this chronic freeze response and how there can be just still this, this aspect inside of us that feels frozen in panic. Yes, we've moved on and we get our life done, but there's just this element of that overwhelm every single day. And I love to work with that. I love to start with that because that's actually where we have to start in order to kind of open everything else up. I love doing attachment work. And so uh, we do attachment and I bring in neurodevelopment, which means that people should expect to be crawling on their tummies when they come to my center, because that's how we start to rewire those neurodevelopmental patterns of movement and feeling safe and grounded in our bodies that we may have missed when we were infants and we can rewire that even as adults. So doing these journeys for those people who are on their, on their healing journey and then the professionals who I train. And do you use the professionals? You said something about mentorships. Do do they treat the the patients per se? uh, And some of the. That, that, that is the, what, what we're moving into. I've never been able to do that before because I haven't had this opportunity and space to do in-person stuff, but that's what then I'm moving into is being able to have them there. And they're the ones actually guiding some of the exercises or doing some of the labs or interpreting some sort of a residency type thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
Hopefully a non-traumatic residency. Yes, hopefully not. But but will you have, uh, will it be standardized? Will there be a, a workbook, a handbook? Oh, yeah, yes. All of this graduation is, yes. And yes. for the, the professionals. And then will you have certifying something? Yeah, I already have the professional training program. So I have a professional level, which is one year, an advanced professional, which is a second year, and then mastery level. So these would be working with wherever they are at in their training process with me. But yes, there are definite protocols and standards. And that's why no matter how deep you want to go with me, like you can do that. And I just continue to share more with you for how to implement this with other people. And right now there, I'm not attached to a certifying body. Mm-hmm. And so what they get is, is a certificate and the recognition that they have this level of knowledge and practice. <music> Jordan Harbinger Show, of course, you heard me talk about it. Uh, Jordan's show has been named one of the best in 2018. It's aimed at making you better informed. And, of course, Jordan is a very bright guy. He speaks multiple languages, had wildlife experiences. He really focuses on getting information that will help you grow and build. He had, like, a cinematographer who discovered a lost city in the jungle. It became one of the most important archaeological finds of the century, he also spoke with a hostage negotiator from the FBI who offers techniques on how to get people to like and trust you. Obviously useful and disturbing at the same time. Jordan is always pulling useful, practical insights out of his guests at Pop Psychology. It's worth checking out. I enjoy this show. I think you will too. Search The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R. Jordan Harbinger Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It is the Jordan Harbinger Show. Do you require some of these professionals also to see their own therapist, or is that on a case-by-case basis? Do they do they need to do their own work is the question, other than what they do with you? That is, that is a requirement, that they do their own work. Mm-hmm. How that looks like is going to be different for each person. Yeah. Do you um, recommend it? Are you, are you building the program for them? Yes. And what I'm asking for them, first of all, is just that what I have taught them, they're applying to themselves. Yeah. And so actually the whole first level, that professional year that I, that I train them, that's how I'm training them is experientially. So mm-hmm. I am taking you through this process and you're going to be applying this to yourself before I then teach you how to apply it to other people. And is that in a group process? It's in a group process. And Zoom. Like a, like Zoom a, right now. Yeah. Really interesting. Uh, yeah. And- I've been fascinated to see what I'm able to do, especially with somatic work and parts work on Zoom. I'm leading hundreds of people. Oh, that's amazing. Online group trauma work and keeping it safe because we have agreements. You you know this from 12-step meetings, right? We start every meeting with agreements. There's kind of 12, 12 things that we start with in, in the 12-step meetings. But with uh, with these, I've, I've narrowed it down to five agreements in order to keep online group trauma work safe. Interesting. I, it, it really is so fascinating to me that, that you know, I to this point, it's only been, you know, Vanderkoek, Siegel, and Porges to some extent, you know, raising more professionals, but you're doing it on a scale, which could be really impactful. It seems to me. Yeah. I actually sat next to Dr. Porges on a flight the other week. Um, we were both headed to a conference in Virginia before, and before you and I had met. Because <laughs> no, this, this not, is, 
you got to tell him hello from me. So I will. I'm going to see him next, uh, not next week, uh, in two weeks. Yeah, and sit in two weeks. Hi for me. He's really. Yeah, I will. I will. I will. Yeah. So, um, he he and I have been have been uh, friends for a couple years now. But this last uh, this last month, we were both headed to a conference in Virginia, and I'm I'm uh, boarding the plane. I'm the last one, and there's only one more seat there and i was like as i get closer to the seat i'm like no way wow. is, is that could that be yes so i got to sit next to steve we chatted the whole time and that's what he was asking me was all right so you know we meaning you know the the grandfathered experts now yeah. we are putting forth the science but you are actually applying this mm. so how do you apply this like how do you take something like the polyvagal theory and actually apply it to your program so that the fruit of it is polyvagal. And so getting to have that conversation with him was, was really uh, meaningful for both of us, for him to see like, no, this is how I take your work, right? That to me, this isn't just science and the theory. I, I make this come alive and real. And this is how I create safety, for example, in a group setting that is trauma work and online. Because most times that is very triggering for people because most people come in and they just want to dump dump their trauma stories on other people, right? And it's very triggering. It's very triggering. And so to be able to take all of the science that these people have given us, right? Mm -hmm. Take all of the science that they have worked so hard to shine the light on what are the principles and be able to actually apply it and see the difference that it makes in people has, has, been, has been incredible. I think we will just leave it there. I think that we've sort of run the bases now. Uh, so I would urge you, if you're enjoying this conversation, go back and listen to our first conversation. We got we got more into the meat and potatoes during that one. And this was more sort of the, the solution, the application, as you're saying. And Amy, just I just, I'm so excited about the work you're doing. I'm so, I, I don't know, almost don't have kind of words, you know what I mean? Because this is so important and uh, you're doing it all the way. You're not just, I, I'm sort of, I've been flirting with it for years, but you're taking it and you're, you're building the future quite literally for both for people that you're, for your patients and for the professionals. So I'm, I'm just grateful for what you're doing. And if I can support it in any way, I think you understand. It's well, thank, thank you so much. And again, uh, it's, it's a real honor for me to even hear you say that because you have played such a big role in my life. And when I was going into addiction medicine and I had your show to fall back to and listen and learn. Uh, it's, it's, it's really neat to have this come full circle for me. Amy Piggian, is there some place you want people to go to see your stuff? They can head to my website. They can head to my YouTube channel. Dr. Amy is how they would find that. And I spell my name A I M I E. And so they can search for Dr. Amy biology of trauma. They'll find my website and YouTube channel and, and my podcast, and they can, find the resources that uh, best suit their style of learning, whether guides or videos or podcasts. Great. Amy, thank you so much. Thank you. And we'll see you all next time. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com.
Hold on to your jingle bells. Pluto TV has all your holiday favorites for free. Enjoy our season's greetings category with nine holiday channels, including holiday movie favorites by Lifetime, Festive Fireplace, Holiday Lights, and Hallmark Movies and more. Download the Pluto TV app on all your favorite devices and start streaming holiday favorites on live channels and on demand. With thousands of free movies and TV shows, Pluto TV is your home for the holidays. Pluto TV. Stream now. Pay never.